Hi, Tim Cask here. Facing a TPK and don't know what to do? Well, you might if you had listened to Save for Half. Welcome, welcome to Save for Half, where we'll talk about what's going on in the OSR. Welcome to Space, Save for Half. As ever, it is episode four, a new mic. And with me is episode five, The Liz Strikes Back. And finally, Return of the Corbett. You can now start singing the Yub Yub song. <laughs> I am all about fuzzy bears, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're in Wyoming. That's a good thing. <laughs> and we're talking about classic traveler yes maybe not the first sci-fi rpg but pretty close coming out in 1977 same year as star wars mm-hmm. yeah another so another what was the first sci-fi rpg uh, metamorphosis alpha oh yeah that was technically first yeah technically first yeah <laughs> huh. and of course start but anyway i won't get on the grouse wagon here but uh <laughs> first what have we been doing in gaming corbett Huh. I have been trying to game, but not successfully gaming, but I will continue to game just to get my gamer payments in. But um... okay. <laughs> It's like a p- filing for unemployment. Did you game last week? Did you try to game last week? <laughs> it feels like that. It feels like those summer's just been busy, so eh, I do my best. Tell me about it. It occurred to me that Liz and I have arguably as many as three games a week going on. Wow. Because we yeah, got our sometimes we got our weekly Wednesday night one e game A D and D, then we have the every other week Saturday five two e slash now five e game, and roughly every three weeks to a month on Sundays my victorious game. Wow! Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> uh, I don't think we've had this much gaming in our weekly schedules for years. Actually, <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm a teenager again. Rocking yeah, <laughs> you know those weekends where you literally spent Friday afternoon till Sunday evening just gaming. Yeah, I never had that weekend. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot. <laughs> you didn't have that till college. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <sighs> Best time in gaming. Wow, so you yeah. guys are really rocking it with your socks on. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into classic traveler goodness, does anyone have any announcements? Mm, no. I, I would like to announce. That I think, in my humble opinion, Dungeons and Dragons is not a battle game. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, define battle game. A game in which two people can battle without a referee, or with a referee, but not a judge or dungeon master, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I'll buy that. 
Not a battle game. Want a, want a battle game? Get Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Hey, that's a fun game. And it's a great role-playing game, too. <laughs> and had a great movie, I guess. It had Hugh Jackman in it. How could it be bad? <laughs> but anyway, anyway. Yes, online, I know it's hard to believe, there's been an argument about whether... No! <laughs> it's the <laughs> first time ever. I'm sure it will end, and then nobody will ever talk about it again, but... <laughs> yeah, just like... Why paladins have to be lawful good yeah. or level limits for demi-humans. Yeah. But it just seems like that, I've been running that, into more and more arguments about whether or not D&D is a battle game or a role-playing game. And t- technically it could be a battle game. But I'm just my point is that if you have somebody there to arbitrate rules on a regular basis and decide what they mean, it's really a judge and not a referee. Because you go play like Warhammer... You don't need somebody else there to, to dictate between the two of you playing. It's, it's really just an arbitrary thing. I'm, I'm going to let it go. Well, on the <laughs> other hand, speaking of gaming, uh, we played uh, Warhammer 40K Rogue Trader yesterday with uh, Mead's parents. Yeah, her family came down to be there for the birth of their first child, and they hadn't left yet. Yesterday, Mead's dad wanted to run Rogue Trader, and so we were invited over, and Mike and I and Chase and Mead and Mead's mom, we were all players, and her dad ran the game. He had pre-generated characters for us to choose from, which was really nice for me since I have never played anything in the Warhammer universe at all, so this was my first time with the system in any way, shape, or form. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. (laughs) And we got to see the little bitty baby. (laughs) Well, yeah, it was all right. I mean, it's Warhammer, so, you know, you're dealing with the sunny, shining, happy people. (laughs) And, of course, the skull-based economy. Yeah, that was interesting. Not something I'd want to play regularly, I don't think. But, so, yeah, no, D&D is not a battle game. You can make it a battle game if you want to, but yeah, in and of itself, no, it's not a, not a battle game. Hmm. Would you say 4th edition could fall more under the parameters of a battle game I than any of the others? I think so, but I don't want to swear to it because, frankly, I've never seen Warhammer, uh, yeah, Warhammer, <laughs> D&D 4th edition. Mm-hmm. And yeah, mostly what I heard is they were trying to warhammer it. So, yeah. you know, I, I didn't even look at it. So I honestly couldn't say. What about you, Gorbett? As far as 4th edition goes? Or, yeah. Well, technically, any game... I mean, any game you pick up could be just, all right, uh, it's my character versus your character, and we're going to fight to the death. Okay, there's rules to arbitrate a lot of that, but there's still certain things that, in, in a role-playing game, nothing's absolute. To pull up a card, Jean-Luc Picard, mind you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, to pull up a card, the uh, uh, when, when rules are absolute, then there's no point in justice. And that's the whole point of a judge, is to make that decision of... Is this right or is this not right? And can it work? I have gun skills, so I should be able to shoot you. Yeah, but we're underwater. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't—it doesn't say I can't. There's there's no rule against it, and that's when you call on a judge to make these kind of decisions that that change it from a straight up I shoot him, he gets damaged and goes away to there's a complication and we need to figure it out. I know a referee makes that judgment too, but it's a little different when you have to sit there constantly because a referee at a like a battle tournament, you just walk around from the table to table. You don't stand there at one table the whole time unless those two players are awful. Well, funny you should mention that because I think we have an editorial from DM Jim regarding that very topic. Oh, yeah, Is, yeah. Yeah, isn't that cool? <laughs> that, that's timely. And I did not intend that. 
<laughs> but well played. Yeah, this is totally off the cuff. It, it, it is. It, I, uh, <laughs> fine. It is, though. Meh. Meh. So I'm there. Like, I'm going to go start an argument <laughs> on the internet and show you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go and rate my professor and give you a bad rating, too. <laughs> anyway. Okay, well, getting a bit serious here, I'd like to say that I was uh, depressed and sad to hear that earlier this month, one of the stalwarts of the old school community online, a guy named Cl- uh, Chris Yoder, he was known as Clangador, passed away. And while I never had the honor of meeting him face to face, I chatted with him for many years. And he was a really great guy and a great old schooler who loved a game but wasn't the type to get in your face about his game. He was fine with people playing however they wanted, but he knew what he liked and he was going to stick with it. And he was a great guy and he's going to be missed. You're here. Indeed. So now, I guess we'll head into the top five. Traveler in its black box set with lettering in red, a black box that said, Mayday, this is the free trader Beowulf calling anyone. We are under attack. I loved this game when I got it back in, I guess, 80, 81. I actually started with the deluxe box set that was actually the normal box size or in the digest box. Mm-hmm. But my friends had the HL, especially had the original digest box size. So I read those. I never understood. They kept the box. They made the deluxe box bigger, you know, like a normal box game. But they kept the booklet still digest size. So they all just kind of rattled around in there. I'm not really sure why they did that. Thinking of the marketing of it, it would match the other box sets that are beside it. Like D&D would then be the same size. But Yeah, and a lot of the Avalon Hill bookcase games of the era. Yeah. Well, it's hard to imagine, but a lot of designers were male, and men tend to have a problem with size issues. I'm not exactly sure where it's stemming from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe it's something to do with ears or hands or something. I don't know. <laughs> okay. You might be onto something. Maybe. Could be. Let's Thumbs make the box up. bigger. It'll feel really big. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> Original Traveler, published in 1977, the same year as Star Wars. But it's not quite science fantasy like Star Wars. It's based to a large degree on the fiction of the 50s and 60s. Talking people like Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein, H. Beam Piper, E.E. Doc Smith, these guys. And so the game has a bit of a hard SF feel to it, while still keeping a bit of swashbuckleriness. Just to give everyone a quick review, you roll up characters in the good old-fashioned way. You've got six attributes, strength, dex, endurance, intelligence, education, and social standing. You only use D6s in the game. You roll two D6 for each stat. And combat is an eight-plus roll to hit, but you've got tons of modifiers. We'll talk about that more later. And since I'm the host again, I'm going to start with Liz. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. (laughs) <laughs> I bet, okay. I bet yours starts with a school subject of some type. Perhaps theater arts? No, <laughs> no, no. no. Literature. No. English no, lit. I'm, 
I'm, I'm saving my school subject for later on, so wow. I'm going to build up to it. Okay. Well, I will start off with my number five. Going through the booklets, I could not help but notice that the career types that are available to you when you are creating a character, it's very, shall I say, military-centric. <laughs> How do you um, say that? It, it, it's got other. It's got yes, other. Yes, other. That's awesome. No, no. I want to be other. It's uh, got merchant and other. And other, yes. It's like, it, it's it's kind of limiting. Well, You can be in some kind of military branch, and some people may disagree with this. I lump Scout in yeah. with military stuff. You can be, you know... Navy, Marine, blah, blah, blah. Oh, boy. Scout, yada, yada. You can be a merchant or other. And <laughs> you do eventually get more choices offered in later supplements, but the initial basic game that you get, the I find that limitation a bit irksome for myself. In its defense, and for people who've never heard of Traveler, it was the first game I ran into that you didn't start out 18 years old with a bag of money. <laughs> Seriously. That was how D&D started, and a lot of other games started you that way. Traveler does not. You right. can choose your career choices, make your roles, and each, each term is four years. Literally, you can start with a 48-year-old character. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, technically, what happens when you fail the enlistment? This yeah, because you can say, I want to be a scout, and then you try to make your role, and if you don't you make it, you know, then you're drafted somewhere. Well, yeah, right. You should probably clarify this to the listeners, what happens, because they might not have the game or may not realize what's happening with the enlistment. Well, if you can't get through the enlistment, you can try for the draft. If you fail the draft and don't get drafted, you just have to choose another career. The story behind that is for whatever reason, you're drummed out of the service or the merchant service or the scouts cut down their size and have to let you go. In the 70s, the big thing regarding balance was randomness. So as I was saying, you can play a 48-year-old character, but every four-year terms, you have to roll to see if you survive to get another term. And everybody freaks out about that. Oh, my God, you, you died during character creation. Yes, but that was the limiter. Because if you didn't have that, everybody would be playing 56-year-old guys with gobs of skills. By the way, spoiler S alert, this is a little bit about what my number five is, but go ahead. Oh, oh then <laughs> and we'll go right into yours then. Okay, well, no, my, my number five. You die! <laughs> Hooray! In case you've never heard of Traveler before, you could die when you get, you're making your character. <laughs> and not only... This is one thing. I remembered it being a lot lower. I went through and reread all the rules. I was thinking, like, oh, yeah, it's 1 in 20 or 1 in, uh, you know, 1 in oh, no. 25. Like, it's a 50-50 shot. Depending on die. your service. No, no, no. I went through and did the calculation out. Yeah, um, most of the average, the army was it the army, the navy, and the marines. The, no, scouts. No, 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 no. The scouts and the marines are higher. You have a fifty-eight yeah. percent. Yeah, chance scouts of dying. are more dangerous because, sensibly, you're out on the frontier seeking out new worlds. Now, and here's stuff. the thing: merchants and other have a forty-two percent chance to die. So, Mike, think of it this way: you've decided to embark on a career as a professor, which you have survived. Eight tours of duty at a 42% <laughs> chance to die every four-year tour. 
Congratulations. Yep, it's a, disgrun- a disgruntled <laughs> student comes to your office. Yeah, yeah, with a concealed carry. Yeah. I'm just saying, it's like, that's Two. really high odds to die. <laughs> well, it does give you the option. The referee can say instead of die, it was just an injury. No, which um, I, I did. I have done and, that with like losing and a truth, limb. Yeah, in truth, generally, when I ran Traveler in the 80s, that's normally what I did. Of course, for a time, I tried to say, okay, you're wounded. You lost a random limb, but you get a cybernetic replacement. Then I I had to stop that because players people were, wanted cybernetic. They're trying to get you know they're trying to die. You know, oh try again. Oh man, I survived. Damn it! But yeah, I, again, randomness was used as a balancer. I'm not saying I agree or disagree with it. I'm just saying that was the intent. And as far as the military edge of things, Game Designers Workshop, the people who made Traveler had been around already as a war game company. Yeah. So you're, you're going to have some military. And to be fair, you know, a lot of the literature of the time, those uh, sci-fi of the 50s and 60s frequently dealt with either military personnel or ex-military personnel or merchants. Well, I just hope you survive your next four-year tour of duty as a teacher, Mike, because 42% chance that's going to roll up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, there's aging modifiers too. Oh yeah, it's just funny. I I had really I remembered uh, you know laughably you go back. Oh yeah, you die when you you're making a character in Traveler. But yeah, the odds are really high. You're gonna die when you're making a character in Traveler. So it doesn't help that they just go with two D six for most everything because that that creates a very narrow bell curve. And anyway, I won't bring math up. <laughs> Don't want to do that. <sighs> Mike, okay. what's a good one? You should you bring it back up. Defend your honor, sir. I found it very interesting for my number five that Traveler started off saying that it is a... They weren't really big on the role-playing term yet, so they called it a conversation game. And they mentioned that Traveler is a game for players and a referee, unsupervised play, and solo play. I, and I've done it before. Just make up a character, a free trader, and you can use book three, Worlds and Adventure, the tables there, and have adventures, trading, say, you know, gaining money, losing money, doing all this stuff with just the tables and a paradise. I never tried the unsupervised play. Um, well, wouldn't solo play in and of itself kind of be unsupervised? Well, yeah, unsupervised play, the way they define it is like the three of us sitting down to play Traveler, but we're all playing. None of us are the referee. We're just making characters and then rolling on tables to see hmm. what happens. So then is it a battle game? Good question. Possibly, <laughs> if we're shooting at each other, yeah. Well, it did remind me a lot of the paradigm with your two-hour war games stuff. Because everything is decided through rolling dice on tables as far as encounters and what happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're not going to have a DM or, sorry, referee, you're going to, you got to do some, you know, randomizations. I mean, mm-hmm. that I found that interesting, the idea of unsupervised play. I can't recall reading any other RPG that actually recommended that as a possible way of playing. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a reflection of the early days of RPGs where they were still trying to figure out what they were doing. Okay, Liz, number four. Number four. Okie dokie. Well, I noticed going through, let's see, I think it was book book two. No, that was Starships. I guess it was maybe book three, Worlds and Adventures, that had the animal yeah. encounters and stuff. Yeah, unlike most other games, which have a 
for a better, lack of a better term, a monster manual or, you know, a list of some kind that you can encounter within the game setting. Traveler, getting back to those tables and charts, you roll on tables to see what type of creature you encounter. Is it a hunter? Is it a herbivore? Is it something that feeds off of carrion? And then you are left up as the referee to come up with, you know, the description of the creature, what it's called, et cetera, et cetera, based Rab- on the table that you rolled up. Ravenous um, bug bladder beast. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that was something that I found very interesting. There, everything... And, you know, was it was up to you to create it. It's like, well, this table says that the party has run into some kind of a hunter. So <laughs> now you have to decide what it does, what it looks like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, in some ways, that's good and inevitable. I think you and I were talking a little bit about it, Mike. You know, since you're building a universe, a galaxy, whatever, it would be nearly impossible to have a bestiary of any kind that you would be able to place on different planets and such. Yeah, back in the day in uh, their magazine, Journal of the Traveler's Aid Society, there was a column in there that basically provided new uh, alien creature or two with already made up, described, and all that, so you could just drop it into your universe. But again, you know, that's a quarterly magazine, so what, four to eight Mm -hmm. creatures in one year? (laughs) You've still got a lot of work on your own. Yeah. You wouldn't want to have creatures show up like orcs do in fantasy because you're going from planet to planet and the ecology would be different. But I suppose you could go from planet to planet and have a house cat that's essentially a lizard on another planet that's still a house cat that looks different. So, mm-hmm. eh, the mechanics, are I you, get the idea, but... Or you do the Star Trek thing and have the preservers to yeah. explain why there are human beings on thousands of planets way out in the galaxy some with like roman culture or whatever yeah totally so you could say well it's it's the wolves of of planetar four you know i've got green my my number four kind of follows a little bit after this so um i'll do my number four which okay it just adds to it really because i really liked and at least i this is probably why i liked the wild animal section at least a little more than liz i don't know <laughs> but no, the, the I I did like it. I just found it, you know, it was very different than yeah. most other RPGs you ran into, well, where pa- you you're building your own bestiary as opposed to having it already there for you. Okay, don't get defensive. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really like the artwork that kind of exemplified that because it was very I don't know how to describe it. Uh, Richard Heinz did that did artwork in that section. And it's uh... although let me say Corbett and Liz used the Traveler book, which was a compilation of the three books into a eight and a half by eleven hardback format. And uh, we'll have a link to it in the show notes on Drive Through RPG. But uh, that's something about the original box set digest books. I have to say there was virtually no art for anything. It was wall-to-wall text. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Well, that's why I kind of switched over to the book. But no, no, I was just going to say the the artwork, Richard Heinz's artwork, was very generic, like, blotty. And that makes it sound like it's bad. It's really not. It's just like, it reminds me of the old Gregorian sort of drawings of monsters where (laughs) they're sort of profile-pictured, 
and you can tell mm-hmm. it's a creature or a horrible thing, but you really can't make out what it is. And I think that matched the text point of, you know, here's a thing, add stuff to it, and then have it attack them or walk through whatever it's doing. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. In the original volume one of Best of the Dragon, there was an article in there basically to roll up to create your own demons. And you had a bunch of tables, you know, horns, tentacles, whatever, da-da-da. I think that would have been cool here, too, just to give it some alienness. They did have that in an issue of dragon magazine that was the first the very first dragon magazine i ever bought issue number 51 51. had a whole subsection for traveler and that was the first time i'd ever heard of the game was when i picked up that dragon magazine and one of the articles in there was creating your own alien races and it was a whole bunch of tables and you could roll on them and just randomly generate an alien race with you know different you know numbers which you did which i did (laughs) even though i did not own the game traveler but i spent hours rolling on those tables and making a whole bunch of different aliens and i may even still have them on old sheets of notebook paper with my old stuff somewhere Somewhere. (laughs) yeah but you know i i rolled up tons of those things and i wrote them down and i drew little pictures and i did not own the game (laughs) but that didn't matter because it was fun so yeah (laughs) i think that was roger moore's article too but I'm not sure. Everybody look at your Dragon 51, which, of course, you all have. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so anyway, are we at your four, Corbett? That, that was my four. I think. Okay. I, I can do another That's what I mean. You You're finished. I can do four more fours if you want. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> well, my number four, and as much as I loves me my traveler, I have a reputation to maintain as a grump. One of the things I never liked and I changed very quickly, is when you're going through the services and you roll, you're, you have to roll on these tables to get skills. And it's usually like one through six, and you either get a skill or you get a plus to one of your attributes. I don't like that. And it doesn't even make a lot of sense for the military because generally, you're unless it's wartime you and you join the army or whatever, you get a chance to at least... You know, aim yourself at the MOS that you're interested in. You don't just, I'm really interested in being a tank man. Okay, great. Here's hydroponics. What? (laughs) (laughs) So I generally let people choose from the list rather than roll on it. I mean, again, I, I understand why they did it. Again, randomness, a way of balance, but I just didn't like it. Just didn't like it. Bah. Well. So, Liz, three. I never could imagine you not liking something about skills. Seems like you're saying <laughs> you talk about it so Crazy, much. huh? <laughs> yeah, I well, know. Well, my number three will segue right out of that. Or, <laughs> like or we yours. planned it or something. <laughs> yes, or your number four segues into my number three, whatever. Yeah. Um, about NPCs. Um <laughs> This I remember was so now awesome. you told me about that. I, this is so awesome. Well, I think it's awesome anyway. They're talking about when you're making characters, and then it goes into talking about non-player characters. And it says in book one, under that section, most players new to Traveler spend some time in the generation of various character types. It is recommended that the referee save these characters for future use as non-player characters, hirelings, and other types. So basically, what they are saying is, make your players 
do the work of creating NPCs for you. Brilliant! This is... (laughs) This is sheer genius. Huzzah and, to Mark Miller, the author yes. of Traveler. <laughs> but if we go, if we do what Mike wants and let people just pick their skills, then you're not going to have all, all of these generated characters that your players abandoned because they didn't turn out the way they wanted them to. And so you don't get all these free NPCs available for your use later on. Unless so they listen. die. Don't listen to Mike. Make everybody <laughs> roll randomly. Gather up their discarded players. Characters, not players. <laughs> characters. Yes, the discarded, discarded players. <laughs> Keep them in your basement. Keep them in m M&M every now and then. <laughs> oh, man, Traveler just got really grim. <laughs> Save for half does not condone the kidnapping and holding of players, whether discarded or not. <laughs> Yeah. Do not listen to Mike. Make them roll randomly. Yeah. Listen to the like lady them. who wants to keep them in her basement. <laughs> I don't even have a basement. Well, that's even worse. She's going to dig a hole and stick them in it. <laughs> Make them roll up characters randomly, and if they don't like what they get, then take the character away from them and have them roll another one, and then you have pre-made NPCs. That is the way it should be done. <laughs> and you also have a four-hour character generation sequence. <laughs> but anyway, Corvett, save us. Anyway. I don't think it's quite four hours, but yeah. <laughs> Depends on your players, but yeah. You're three. I, I'm now I'm not segueing at all because it, we went straight from skills and then Liz is abducting people, <laughs> so I, I don't I don't have a segue for that. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, it couldn't keep going. Something had to screw it up. But I do want to talk about skills, specifically one ah! skill. <laughs> one right. one specific skill that I find I mean there's there's some that are like, well that's not quite what I would use or that's a little off, but this one I found absolutely laughable. Steward. The skill steward. <laughs> I knew it. You have the skill to be a butler, essentially. Yes, you can you can prepare and bring food to people. This seems like such an important skill to. Have. <laughs> yeah, feel that. Yeah, because that was a skill when everybody got. I could hear a howl. <laughs> Man, what you got, Stuart? Didn't you? Yes. Uh, I want to be Gopher from the Love Boat. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Every, everybody wants to be there. I, I just, I'm just glad I didn't get breathing. <gasps> <laughs> I will say most of their skills are very baseline, groupy type. But the yeah, the steward. I can't believe that. <laughs> Well, if you look at book two starships, you know, they're they're talking about if you have like a X hundred ton ship or more, you require to have one steward on hand if you have any passengers. Here's your ration pack. Here's your ration pack. I'm glad I got skill in this. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, wow, I don't recall them doing that on Firefly. Yeah. <laughs> I must admit, now that I've finally been forced to watch Firefly, I would not be surprised in the slightest to find out that Josh Sweeten played Traveler in his younger days, because it is very Traveler. Oh, yeah. Totally Traveler. So, uh, my three, and it kind of goes off on the deluxe box set, because it's not one of the three basic books, but it's part of the hardback, which... YouTube read, and I remember first getting it, Book Zero, Understanding Traveler. 
This is a 56-page digest book that goes into great detail and explanation on how to play a role-playing game and then how to specifically play Traveler. Give it an example of play. This is all stuff, you know, we're used to. We've read that a thousand different times, but in 1981... This was before Molpe. I mean, Holmes, love my Holmes D&D, but it had sort of that. But this book was the first serious attempt I'd ever read to learn how to play a role-playing game, and it was awesome. I think it was a great addition to the series. So that's my three. Liz? All righty. Number two. My number two, Random Person Encounter Tables. <laughs> Not the entire table, though. Only one specific listing person. Singing if... monks. Close. Uh? Tourists. <laughs> tourists. <laughs> I loved the tourist line because the table is set up to where the type of person you randomly encounter, how many of them there are. Do they come with a vehicle or not? What kind of weapons do they have? And are they wearing armor? And the tourists... Weaponry, cameras. <laughs> Those can kill a lot of rats, right, yeah, Corbett? That's, that's very true. <laughs> yeah. Cameras are expensive. You don't want to go using them to smack the crap out of someone. <laughs> you do if they're trying to kill you. I guess, but it's just well, that whole line. It, you know, tourists seems to be everything is just so very, very serious. And then right in the smack dab in the middle of the table, there's this one line which, let's have a little fun here. Tourists with cameras. <laughs> They're well, going to beat you up. <laughs> it's, if you'll forgive a digression, I think it was Dragon number 51. But Mark Miller wrote a brief article in that talking about the weapons locker and the number of various equipment you can get in Traveler. And there was a unfortunate omission that he is now repairing. The milk carton. <laughs> and he gives this elaborate thing on the milk bottle. The various uses of the milk bottle as a 2D weapon if you hit someone with it. It becomes 1D, but then penetrating damage, where you can find them, how much they're good for recycling. Very tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, I, it does not surprise me that there are tourists. Yeah, and, you know, it is right smack dab in the very center of the table, which <laughs> makes me think, you know, this was done deliberately. Because oh, sure. before and after, you've got soldiers, you've got adventurers, you've got vigilantes, everybody he has got a for-real weapon if they're carrying anything at all. And the tourist is the only one which has something other than a legitimate weapon listed. Yeah. They either aren't carrying anything or they're carrying a sword or a gun or whatever. Tourist cameras. You know? On the other hand, if you're in the highly likely possibility your player characters are wanted by the authorities, a camera <laughs> could be bad. I was thinking the tourists could be a bit more of an obstacle or a distraction and, and not mm -hmm. so much a somebody you have to fight so much as they're just in your way. Yeah. And if your players are any kind of decent people, they'll kind of try to encourage them to go away. With force. <laughs> we'll blow their heads off, and then I'll check their spleen for emeralds. Wrong game! <laughs> Although I swear, when I first ran Traveler, everybody I knew, you know, all my players wanted to go into the local bar wearing battle dress, getting the back corner and holding a PGMP-15. And I was like, you can't do that. Why? Because the law level is six here! <laughs> well, I'll just kill them if they try to stop me. This isn't D&D. &D. You can't do that. Uh, 
So anyway, sorry. Corbett. Hey. Uh, unless you have any more tourist comments, Liz. No, no, I'm good. Okay. Corbett. <laughs> Number two, space battles. Ah, you stole mine. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, mine's more of a observation. I, okay. I think, I think the space battles are a little bit complicated, though I can see they were trying to do sort of a Star Trek-y kind of combat. Probably more for people who don't play Star Trek that much, but it felt a little Star Trek-y, <laughs> and, you know, it felt a little, oh, we're here, they're there, we shoot our thing, and they, they hit, take the damage, and then they shoot us at their thing, and we take the damage, and yep. we work through it. And I didn't mind that. It didn't kill me, but I was contemplating, because I was contemplating using Traveler as the mechanic for the role-playing portion of the battle game made by FASA uh, for... The battle- tactical combat simulator? Yeah, for Battlestar Galactica. And Oh, that I don't know. Okay. Well, no, no, it's the tactical combat simulator for Battlestar Galactica that is, uses 2D6 for the characters that is in the, the... for the pilots. I don't know why they even bothered to give the pilot stats, because it's all just the Vipers. The Vipers versus the, the Raiders. But I was thinking, like, that that had some much better starfighter combat roles, and I think that's the thing. They needed sort of a definition between those two that that seemed to be lacking. And I don't really hate Traveler for that. I, I think they made a great job out of what they had, but it felt more like, you know, my ship comes alongside your ship, and we broadside each other, and then we move along. It didn't feel quite so much as, all right, I'm going to come in high, and he's going to go out and do a wide swing doggy, and I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know piloting terms, but... Yeah, well, again, you know, the, the, there's the big argument, you can't bank in space. And that's kind of what Traveler's doing. But it um, looks but That's cool. my number two, and I'll wait. Okay, go ahead with your number two. <laughs> well, Starship Rules. And I know that Mark Miller, the, the designer of Traveler, started with Games Workshop and had published in 1973 a game called Triplanetary. And it's obvious the rules from that game made it over into Traveler because it's all about vectors and acceleration and deceleration. I know when I was 11 or 12, it was really hard to wrap my head around that. And we usually just hand-waved it and say, okay, you move X number of hexes, and then I blast you, and you blast me, and then whatever. We didn't worry about the vector lines and accelerations. It's, It's interesting that that was the system he went with because most other systems, especially in the 80s, they were more like start like you were talking about, Corbett, Star Trek or, yeah. you know, the and and it's really interesting because if you read science fiction today, particularly <laughs> David Weber's Honor Harrington series or Jim Campbell's Lost Fleet series, they are all about coming into a system at high speed, then having to flip over and hit the engines to decelerate and various vectors all throughout the place. But in the 70s and 80s, I don't recall really reading people doing that. I know a lot of the literature that they took it from, you know, the Heinlein, etc., most of them didn't do that. I think Asimov might have. I'm not as boned up on Asimov as I'd like to be. I mostly just read the Foundation series. But anyway, that's my number two. It's, it's very complicated. And if you read through Traveler listeners and you decide, well, it's really not that complicated at all, then pick up Trillion Credit squadron <laughs> and book five high guard and then get a degree in calculus and enjoy your job at nasa that's right <laughs> so yeah they've also got a good starship construction set of rules but again it's a bit complicated and my personal opinion is just buy the book with the supplement traders and gunboats and just use those rather than having to crank one out on your own but that's just me <laughs> oh it just it just struck me yeah learning to deal with the rules and traveler isn't brain surgery it's rocket science <laughs> it's literally rocket science. Nice how you flip the 
a Simpsons reference, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not rocket science, it's brain surgery. <laughs> it's not brain surgery, it's rocket science. Okay, Liz, bring us home with number one. All righty. Okay, my number one is the strong do-it-yourself DIY vibe that the entire system has, which, in my opinion, is both a strength and a weakness, depending on your personal situation as a referee. If you have the time and the inclination to devote to building it all from scratch, you can literally have a setting which is completely custom-built to your personal specifications. And that is awesome if you can do that. If you do not have the time or the inclination for self-building, then you run a very real risk of floundering in a half-formed setting where your players will immediately decide to go out in the very direction that you don't have anything set up at all in. Yeah. That is something which struck me as, again, something that sets Traveler apart from many other RPGs of the day is how... It is almost completely DIY. You're building your world. You're building yeah. your setting. You're making it all. It's yeah, I don't know about... You guys read the hardbacks, so maybe you can tell me. But I know the little books. Traveler had its own setting called the Third Imperium, but there's very little reference to it in the rules. About three pages. I mean, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very little, so... They ex- and this is the 70s. Remember, this is the era where TSR was laughing up their sleeve at Judges Guild because they thought, you know, people aren't going to buy adventures. People aren't going to buy settings. Everybody's going to want to do it themselves. And I think Traveler went that direction, too, initially. And then fans demanded more information, more information, and finally they fleshed out the Third Imperium. But I like that. I think that's cool. But you're right. It is very time-intensive on the referee. Well, I think it's worse in a sci-fi setting than in a fantasy setting. Because if you don't have everything written out in your map, they're still going to be on land. You know, it's not going to... They're just going to, like, let's go out to the ocean, maybe, but pretty unlikely. <laughs> Whereas with space, like, all right, let's go to deep space, but I don't have anything for deep space, but we're going there. Okay. Because that's what players do. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that a lot of third companies like Paranoia Press and FASA all put out supplements for Traveler that tried to fill that. Judges Guild as well. Amicus Probe, Darkling Ship, especially like Judges Guild, Game Designers Workshop just gave them an area of the universe map and said, okay, that area, do whatever you want to in it. And they did. And that was pretty cool. Traveler GDW was very good at working with other people who wanted to do Traveler stuff. But anyway, over to you, Corbett. Number one. Number one. I was both not a fan and a fan of the psionic section. (laughs) As long as I'm on the fence, you know. Yeah. (laughs) I I love psionics. I think uh, from Babylon 5, Bester. Awesome characters. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The (laughs) psionic characters are always interesting and kind of cool. They're always lopsided because the rules don't balance well with it. But if you have a universe where it's happening, it, it can work out fine. But they set it up in the rules to where you just go to school and learn it, which seems really weird to me. I did not like the setup for that. But Like a school for gifted students. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. I think Traveler tried to counteract that by making psionic psionicists very outcast. A lot of worlds, you know, hated yeah, them or feared I, them and that sort of thing. I could see how that would be a big turnoff. You're an outcast, you wear all black, you have claws, you know, stuff like that. Nobody <laughs> wants to be that. Yeah. yeah. You ride a no motorcycle. No one understands you even though you're the best there is at what you do. 
what you do best isn't very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it, weird. It was, it was. I, I did really like the section, but at the same time, I was so frustrated that I, I guess it was the fact that as a kid, thinking back to uh, Luke going to see Yoda and to be trained, there was mm-hmm. always an argument that, oh well, Han could have just gone and learned from Yoda, and then he would have had the Force too. It's like, nah, it's supposed to be special. It's supposed to be unique or something or midi chlorians. I don't know. And uh, well, I think there is an examination, right? So there's still a yeah. chance that you know if you do manage to find the school and go there you might spend the money and they go nah you you have no potential sorry yeah <laughs> it's like if you fail the enlistment check or something like that yeah so it's, it's a possibility but it just seemed like we don't serve your kind here <laughs> <laughs> But we did take your 5,000 credits happily. <laughs> yeah. Happily, yes. That, that was a thing. You pay for your training. Uh, I'll have to go into that for my doesn't make the save. We'll talk to that. I'll talk about that later. You go, Mike. <laughs> you go. Okay, it's to me. Okay. I loves me my traveler. Everybody, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. My favorite sci-fi game. Uh-huh. Except... I hate the melee rules. <sighs> <laughs> the weapon combat is fine. What was it about the 70s and melee rules? I, I don't Let get it. Let us consult the grappling tables. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it sounds easy. 8 plus on 2d6, right? Mm-hmm. No problem. But then you've got 8 billion die modifiers. Everything from the weapon you have, the strength you have, the training you have, the armor that the others... Like, it, they don't use armor class like a like D and D. Oh no! You literally have a chart where the weapon is listed, and then what it needs to, what it modifies to hit Jack. That's not. I'm saying you know it doesn't. <laughs> it for Jack. There's literally an armor there called Jack, and it's a leather jacket essentially. I have to admit that was what went through my mind every time I read Jack. You can't hit Jack. <laughs> you can't hit Jack. And then you have you know the higher armors. You have ablative. You have reflective. You've got you know combat armor. You got powered combat armor. Battle dress because you know you got to have starship troopers. Not that they really go into detail what the Battle dress has pimped out on it. Again, do it yourself. But there's just so many modifiers and so many situations. You know, the ranges, the terrain, the uh, just uh no, don't like it. Don't even like it. The thing is, it's not even like D and D, where depending on your strength, you know, you know your modifier to hit and damage. Oh no, the die roll modifiers are totally arbitrary, and I just ah. And there's no consistency to it. You see it on the career charts. Yeah. You know, when you're going through your thing, it's like survive, you know, six plus, die roll of plus one if you have an education of three or five or better, you know, or whatever. But there's no consistency. Ugh. Okay, that's mine. Blah. <laughs> <laughs> so we shall go, I suppose, to a commercial break. Mike needs a moment. <laughs> moment. And hand it to DM Jim, and then we'll come back and talk about what makes and fails saves. If you got a computer, you can play the games. All the arcade hits with the biggest names. Atari Soft, Atari, Atari Soft. Now your computer fits the arcade hits. Oh, it's never a problem to play the hits. Because on your home computer, everything fits. Atari Soft, Atari, Atari Soft. Now your computer fits. 
If you own a Commodore, a Texas Instruments, an IBM, or an Apple, you can play the most famous arcade games ever invented. The original arcade hits from Atari Soft. Donkey Kong, Centipede, Pac-Man, Defender, Robotron, Stargate, and Dig Dug. Now your computer fits the arcade hits from Atari Soft. Atari Soft, Atari, Atari Soft. Now your computer fits the arcade hits. Atari Soft. Some games available on ColecoVision and in television. Oh, death, where is thy sting? How many times are you going to hear the Bible quoted in a gaming context? DM Jim here with a mini editorial about player character death. One of the most interesting divergences in preferred RPG playstyle to me is the relative lethality of a campaign world or a game system and how different players react to it. And in RPGs, both old school and modern, we have a wide range of variances in this. From the durability of PCs in Pathfinder and later versions of D&D to rules that can actually cause a PC to die during character generation like in Traveler, and in my own homage to that particular mechanic, Mutant Crawl Classics. In between these two extremes lies a wide spectrum of system and game-setting lethalities, including the recent repopularization of the Level Zero Adventure in games like DCC RPG and even D&D 5e via the mechanics in the more recent Dungeon-esque game. So why do we have more choices of relative lethality in role-playing games than a Mark II phaser has stun settings? I think the roots of this go all the way back to the origins of our hobby. In the beginning, both the D&D rules and in many cases early Dungeon Masters were a harsh and unforgiving lot. As D&D and role-playing games in general blossomed in the early 80s, we began to see a slow march towards using the rules of newer and newer systems to alter a perceived balance of power between the game master and the players. These changes in game mechanics almost universally favored the player characters. Later, opposing responses began to appear as older gamers longed for the way games were run in the good old days. And this back-and-forth process has given us the embarrassment of riches in gameplay styles that we enjoy right now. Now, I'm not going to tell you what's the right way to play your games. I don't do that. But I am going to make a suggestion. Anyone who has played role-playing games over a long period of time, and your mileage may vary. It's been 38 years for me, but that's just because I'm old. Any number of years past just a handful count has so far probably been nodding along with varying degrees of agreement and opinion. And since I've been framing the discussion in terms of game rules and mechanics, you've also no doubt been listening and have been thinking of these issues in similar terms. But here's my suggestion. I don't think the relative lethality of an RPG has nearly as much to do with playstyle preference as it does with good GMing and good playing. I say this because in the realm of good and skilled game judging, players have little fuel for any grievances with their GM. And when a judge has great, smart players, they have little need of onerous rules. The infamous rock falls, everybody dies, no saving throw scenarios. In a well-run game with a good group of players, any adversarial relationship between GM and players is solidly in the same realm as a simple board game. Such as, oh look, you just landed on Park Place, and I have a hotel there. That'll be 1,500 big ones. If the player owning the racing car token can't pay that amount, then off the board it goes, and their character just died. What does a Monopoly game have to do with role-playing games? 
Just this. I'm sure that most of us can recall a past Monopoly game where a situation similar to the one I just described resulted in loud accusations of cheating, the losing player stomping off in a huff, or maybe even an actual table flip. While table flip or rage quit stories are great ones to tell, chances are that unless it was a childhood summer vacation where you were stuck with your cousins, these stories are also outliers to the main body of your gaming experience. Chances are also good that no one present at that Monopoly game that went south said, Okay, now it's time to change the Monopoly rules so that this same thing can't happen again. That's not what playing games are about. It's about trust at the table. It's about friendly competition. It's about having fun. And my suggestion is, if you have those things, then the relative lethality of a game system or rules doesn't really matter that much. I've played every edition and version of D&D, and with my group or my family, we've had fun playing them all. Most of my own campaign group, the Mutant Murder Hobos, are ages 20-something to 30-something. And those guys play DCC on Saturday nights, and Sunday is 5e day. Wednesday nights are Pathfinder night, and Fridays are Call of Cthulhu. Those guys switch games and play styles and play characters that aren't going to go down easily or characters that can die at the first encounter back and forth and obviously have a great time doing it all or they wouldn't keep playing. They're a good group of players and they have some great GMs. So why choose between cake or pie when you can have both? If you don't have it going on already, find some good players and a good GM and try some new play styles out. It won't kill you, just maybe a few characters. Want to hear more Mad Rants like this? Write the show and let them know. DM Jim out. What makes a save, and what is going to take half? What makes the save, and what fails the save? I'm going to turn around and go to Corbett first. Okay. Ha ha. Now, let me start with what doesn't make the save. Because, honestly, I think I think it's fair to say we all like the game, right? I, yeah. Pretty much? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we'll start with the bad stuff, and then, then we'll go to the, the pimping it. The um, experience. I know this sounds lame, because I, I always complain that I, I'm not a huge fan of level systems, but they have no level system in this. But they nope. have... Like no real way of experience either. So it's either it seems like they should have just said not even put that section in because you either go Yeah, you're front loaded for the most part. That would make more sense. But it's just that you like well if you if you need more training, go take a correspondence course. For four <laughs> years. Like, okay. Yeah. And you're taking it on your ship, you know, for four years of gameplay before you could potentially have that skill. <laughs> Dear Professor, being attacked, <laughs> can't send in assignment this week. Dog ate my homework <laughs> and my hand. Okay, it was a varieur. <laughs> varieur pirates who attacked the ship, but you get the idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought the experience system seemed very oddly put in there and because of that you have no you really don't have any way to advance and i'm okay with not advancing because i think you are front loaded Mm. the way your character should be i I think you could have easily just said okay you know what we're gonna stop playing for four years well in game time game years and we're gonna absolutely nothing happens to anyone else yeah we're (laughs) gonna go do whatever it is we're go serve somewhere else or go do something for four years and then come back and we'll do the next game i guess space adventurers go to college yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Panty raid. <laughs> Woo-hoo! It's just gonna be. Yeah, oh anyway. shit! A tourist. <laughs> <laughs> 
those raging packs of tourists come right at you. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so that was my not make a save. Makes a save, honestly. I was expecting it to feel a lot more dated. A lot more uh, people working on warp drive while smoking a cigarette type of dated. I don't know how to describe <laughs> it, but the 70s. I expected it to be the 70s sci-fi experience. And honestly, even some of the artwork doesn't remind me. Well, there's a few things. They're like, you know, the domes and the tubes and things like that that remind me of the 70s. But for the most part, it could have been any era that this came from. So, And like you said, there's a lot of text. So it, it absorbs it. Yeah. Okay. Over to you, Liz. All right. Does not make the save. For me, space combat. I tried reading through that part <laughs> and like math. Plat yeah, math. Math. <laughs> Planetary templates, vectors, math, symbols, <laughs> square it is, roots. It is a simple formula of R to the square root of M <laughs> divided by acceleration and ah like I I has the dumb. <laughs> I, I I cannot think anymore. I has the dumb. Yep, <laughs> I'm not a math person. And so this part very, very difficult for me. And yeah, I probably would have been you know, I probably would be right now as a forty some odd year old person hand waving a lot of the vectors and stuff in space combat like you guys were doing, Mike, at age 11 and 12. <laughs> um, so for me personally, who math does not come easily to me, the combat systems that rely very heavily on formulas, they do not make the save for me personally. So there's that. Mm -hmm. What does make the save? Traveler has its own unique feel, which becomes extremely obvious shortly after you begin reading the rules. Mm. Uh, I was fully immersed in a mindset specific to the world of Traveler that was totally different from the way I felt when reading any other science fiction RPG. You cannot simply interchange Traveler with Star Wars or Star Trek or Star Frontiers or any star fill-in-the-blank game <laughs> and have it feel the same. Traveler is wholly itself and nothing else. And I think that is one of the game's greatest strengths. And yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's ironic because when I was 11 or 12, I actually started playing Traveler, then went back to read the fiction that it was inspired by. And yeah, it really has that feel. Absolutely. So, all right. My, oh, oh yeah, we're starting with no save, right? You don't have to. I just, I just. Suggest. Okay. What does not make the save? Robots. <laughs> There's no robots until book eight. Years into the Traveler game system. I don't know when Book 8 came out, but it was in the eight, well in the 80s. And there's no rules for robots. You've got rules for computers. You've got rules for starships, all etc. But no no robots. I, I don't know why. Mm. So that's my don't make the save. That's a good what one. does make the save, I love the idea of the universal personality profile. I love how you can have a character in one line. Not only that, you can use the, the UPP number in-game as kind of like a serial, um, a social security number or a military number or something. And the way they do it is it's a single digit, two to nine for an attribute. 
at 10, it's an A. You put A all the way to C, which is 12. And then you just run it as a line, your strength, dexterity, endurance, intelligence, education, social standing. So your UPP can come out as 9, 6, A, 3, 4, you know, C. And it's easy to keep track of. I mean, this is half index card level stuff. Unfortunately, as Traveler went on with First Mercenary, then High Guard, it started getting... I mean, if you think the service careers in the original book are complicated, Mercenary and High Guard add another level of complexity to those careers. That's mine. That's that's what I think. I love the universal personality profile. It's a way of both in-game and out-of-game using your attribute stats. That is really cool. So that's my opinion. And this has been Classic Traveler, published 1977 by Mark Miller. Would you play Traveler? Well, that's kind of a silly question since we've already pretty much said it. But Corbett, would you play (laughs) Traveler? Oh, I'd totally play Traveler. Would you run Traveler? Hmm. Would I have to follow every rule? Of course not. We're old school. Oh, okay. Then I'll do whatever I want. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Liz? I would play Traveler. I have played Traveler. Like Corbett, I would be willing to run it. But yeah, as I've said, I would be hand-waving the hell out of space combat. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would. And I would and have played and refereed it. So this is a good end to this game review. And as usual, I will ask everybody, since this is not a class game, I'm going to go with careers. And Corbett, if you were a career, which one would you be? And you can use Citizens of the Imperium with the 13 additional careers. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Which you probably didn't read. No, I didn't. I was going to say, yeah, say, say I can use that now. I didn't <laughs> read that far. Fine. I would totally, would I? I think I would totally go scout. You scout? Might, you might as well go with the highest risk you can find. I think the, the scout's the one that has the highest mortality rate. <laughs> yes, but you can muster out with a ship, potentially. This is true. Oh, well, yeah. Liz? I shall proudly be other and and probably wind up getting steward and becoming (laughs) gopher from the love boat. (laughs) Got three, a three in steward. So that's right. I I am the best steward. (laughs) Yeah. Well, since Liz stole other, I think I'll go with Navy, but wet Navy. Oh, that is a career. You can actually just be Navy on a, on an ocean rather than a space Navy. So, in the navy, <laughs> and I'd I'd probably have to roll up every one of the village people before I found a character I really wanted. <laughs> I think we would all spend the evening making character after character after character after character, trying to get the one we want, and filling up Liz's book with NPCs. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> and then shooting at them later because they're tourists. Yes, <laughs> this has been episode six of Save for Half. Thanks, everybody, and we'll no doubt see you at Sideshow Six and a Half. Attack of the Tourists. (laughs) Can you hear me now? Anyway. (laughs) Say goodnight, everybody. Bye-bye. Yodely, yodely, yodely. Oh, wait, no. Goodbye. Right. (laughs) Briark. And we is out. Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. All player characters.
characters mentioned in this podcast are fictional, and any resemblance to PCs living or dead is purely coincidental. No NPCs were armed in the making of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save for Half. This is where harm harmed in the making of this episode. <laughs> Not for lack of harm. <laughs> no players were left in a basement. <laughs> we used every single one of them. 